Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will help thee, yea, I will strengthen thee, I will keep you with the right hand of my righteousness. What a promise. And I thank Natalie for that beautiful number. I remember meeting the Murrays a number of years ago, and and I thought, boy, that little girl has a lot of promise, you know. And uh, I heard this morning, now I need confirmation of this, and I understand that the senior leadership here has accepted her into the membership here. Is that right, brother? And and Randy ought to be pretty happy about that. God bless you, brother. Take care of her. It'll be after you otherwise. Yes, indeed. Indeed. When they marry, they marry into the family, and we well know that. And uh, so I need to give you just a brief update. Uh, Philip and Elizabeth are in Buenos Aires, Argentina this morning, ministering to youth workers down there. So you might remember them in prayer. Phil went down on Thursday night, and uh, Elizabeth uh, flew down last night and joined them. And someone's watching the young people, so they're, they're all set. And he said to be sure and say hello to you and send his greetings to you. They still remember with fond memories their time spent with you and... Uh, I'm sure you'll be hearing from them soon. Well, we're going to look at Luke again this morning, but uh, before I go into Luke, I I always feel like uh, it's it's not a bad idea to just have a quick review. Uh, Just in time. Just in time. Enjoyed that message, Ron. That was great. Uh, Last Sunday's message, and I really appreciate it. I learned a lot about Ron, as a matter of fact, last Sunday. I didn't even know. So, it's good brother. Good brother. Appreciate that. Well, the Gospel of Luke, you know, uh, among other things that we learn in the Gospel of Luke is that the emphasis is really, is it religion or true Christianity? Is it religion or true Christianity? And I ask you the question this morning as I start out, are you reveling in religion or is yours a true experience of Christianity having been born again through the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ? Luke is a Gentile and he's writing, he's in an all-Jewish cast of New Testament writers and, and he shows us how the Lord Jesus includes all those uh, typically, typically treated as outsiders by the religious establishment. And yet Luke says all are welcome, all are welcome. And he, and he shares with us there in chapter 19, verse 10, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Yes, His theme, I believe, is on Jesus Christ, the compassionate Son of Man, the compassionate Savior. Uh, And we're going to share some other thoughts on that. But, you know, he came to live among sinners, to love them, help them, and he died for their sins. He is a compassionate Savior, and he's the same Savior today. Amen? Amen. Chapter 1 speaks of a, a childless couple conceiving, Elizabeth and Zechariah, a son is born. And they name him John, and we know all about it if we've read it all in the Gospel of Luke as well as the other Gospels. Chapter 2, Christ is born. It's recorded there in Luke chapter 2. And in chapter 3, John prepares the way for him. And John is later in prison for his open ministry. And the Lord Jesus is baptized and begins his public ministry. I'm sure it's beginning to come back. Chapter 4, Jesus in the wilderness, tempted by Satan. And... Uh, He's also rejected by his own hometown, Nazareth. But he continues to be faithful and, and truly the compassionate Savior. Chapter 5, the first disciples are called. 
you remember, by the Lord Jesus. And in chapters 7 and 8, the Lord Jesus performs many miracles. And in chapter 7, if you remember back, that far back, I asked the question, how strong is your faith? How strong is your faith? Is it a Sunday morning only faith? Or is it a, a faith that upholds you and strengthens you and encourages you on Monday morning when you walk into that stack of paperwork in the office or at school or wherever you may be? How strong is your faith? And in chapter 8, we, we shared the need to have faith in a compassionate Savior. A compassionate Savior. More lessons on faith in chapter 9, with emphasis on service, on fellowship, on relationships, and God's presence in our lives. Oh, I can never overemphasize that. I, li- I serve a risen Savior who's in the world today, but I serve a risen Savior who's in my life every moment of every day. And I need to remind my heart, and it's important to do this, that He is present in my life. I can claim Him every moment of every day. How about you? Are you trusting Him today? And then we had some lessons on priority, the priority of prayer, the pattern for prayer in chapter 11, the persistence in prayer, the promises from prayer. You might want to go back and read up on those. In chapter 12, Great expectations in the life of the believer who has trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. And yet we have some warnings. Beware, be careful, be prepared to give an answer for the faith that lies within you. And then in chapters 13 through 17, the Lord Jesus, the compassionate Savior, warns us of the need to repent and trust Him fully. Trust Him fully. Uh, I believe it was in Ron's message that I, I listened to this past week where He made such a wonderful statement. So often you come and you listen to the Word of God and you listen to the speaker and you're concentrating on my tie or my shirt or my coat or my jacket and you forget that the message is the message from the Word of life. And it's important that you accept it, that you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. So forget about me, will you? Will you listen to the Spirit of God this morning? And if you're not a Christian today, I trust that today will be the day when you will trust in Him whom to know is life eternal. We need to repent. We need to trust Him fully for salvation. There were parables uh, in chapters 13 to 17 relating to the physical healing that was necessary. The recovery of that which was lost but found. A wonderful story in Luke 17. But life is changing. Life is changing. Do you realize that in a matter of four days we will be reminded afresh by the press, by the newspapers, by the world around us that it's been two years since that terrible tragedy took place in New York City. People are asking still, how do you find God? How do you find God? And you know, a lot of those people who suffered and who uh, were literally scared out of their wits uh, have probably forgotten that there's a living God who cares for them. And many are asking, why would God allow that? Well, God allows it because He is a loving God and he is a God who recognizes that there is sin in the world. And, he, and for that very reason, he sent his son to die. And one day, he's coming back to take us to be with himself. God understands. God is aware of it. And yet today, there's a deeper search for meaning in everyday life. Everyday life. Yet, as time goes by, are we still as determined to find God? I wonder, how is it with you this morning? Where are you? Have you sort of uh, set that aside and said, well, life goes on. I've got to continue. 
But what about your spiritual condition? What about your position before the living God? I have an uncle who's in glory today and someday I'm going to get a chance to chat with him. But I still remember, he used to say to me, you know, your, your dear grandfather, John, and your dad, uh, who, who led him to Christ, by the way, he used to talk about the second coming of the Lord. And he says, here I am, I'm over 80 and he hasn't come yet. Folks, he's coming right on schedule. He's not delaying a second. And today we're living in the day of grace. And today the opportunity is yours to trust Him as your Savior. Today the opportunity is yours and mine to walk a closer walk with Him. So that in a coming day we shall look upon His blessed face. And I trust we'll be able to hear Him say, Well done. You've been a good and faithful servant. Is He your Savior, first of all? But I ask you a deep, deep searching question this morning. Is he your Lord? Is he your Lord? Are you walking in obedience to his word? In obedience to his will for your life? You know, many of us, I'm sure, in this congregation this morning come from lives that we're not too excited about and not too proud of. But we look back on a day when by the grace of God we came to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. And I want to tell you that the Lord promises you and me in his word, I have buried your sins in the depths of what? The shallowest sea? No, the deepest sea. The deepest sea. I have forgotten them, your sins. I have removed them as far as the east is from the west. And I'm still going west and I haven't found the east yet. That's how far he has forgotten them. And he will not remember them again. Why? Because you're under the blood of Christ. And so this morning I ask you to pick up that which you know to be the will of God in your life and to live it for his glory from this moment on. Don't sit and, and for any second uh, attempt to be reminded over and over and over again of the sins that you've committed in your life. If you're a believer in Christ this morning, you're under the blood Amen. and you're found in him, the perfect one. You know, uh, I shared this with you once before, and I think it's, 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 it's worth uh, bears, uh, sharing once again. Uh, I, I read this from a little article in Reader's Digest, and it says, People are figuring out the price they have been paying for their lives, and for many of us, it's just too high. We asked kids during December to name, this is a year ago, to name the very best gift they could receive. Do you remember their answer? The overwhelming choice was more time with mom and dad. More time with mom and dad. How's your family life? How's your spiritual life in the, in the family of God? How is it with you today as you seek to, to live for him? Well, let's turn to Luke chapter 18 this morning. Luke 18. And we're going to... Uh, Look at a, a portion of scripture that again, and I don't apologize for it. It's there and we're not going to skip over it because I believe there's a very definite reason why the Spirit of God has made so much emphasis in Luke on the need for prayer. Prayer in the Christian life. Prayer in the life of the believer. Daily life of the believer. And it says in chapter one of verse eight, uh, in verse one of chapter 18, it says, then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. 
Let me read it again. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, In a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared about men. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming on to him with a plea, Grant me justice against my adversary. Grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, Even though I don't fear God or care about men, Yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually wear me out with her coming. And the Lord said, Listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes... Will he find faith on the earth? A persistent widow we have here in the first eight verses. What is prayer? What is prayer? Well, Leith Anderson, who's written a very good little booklet, and it's entitled, Praying to the God You Can Trust, has this to say. Prayer is communion with God. Communion with God is intimate connectedness that is an indescribable mix of relationship between a parent and a child, between best friends, between brothers and sisters, between monarchs and subjects. Prayer is sharing this supernatural relationship not only in words, but also in thoughts and silence. Prayer is the language of the soul with God himself. Isn't that beautiful? Prayer is the language of the soul with God himself. Oh, we need prayer in our lives. More about that in just a moment. You know, Luke mentions widows in the gospel of Luke more than any other writer. If I counted correctly, I've got at least six different references. Luke chapter 2, chapter 4, chapter 7, chapter 18, chapter 45, uh, uh, chapter 18 rather, in two sections there, and chapter 21. Don't look, there are not 45 chapters in Luke. But at least six references to the widow. Why? Why would he he do this? What is the importance about widows? Widows had a hard time making ends meet in Luke's day as they do today. In spite of what God instructed his people to give them. Uh, In Exodus 22, he says, uh, do not take advantage of the widows. In Deuteronomy chapter 14, he says, Uh, Help them meet their needs. God will bless you for it if you'll help meet their needs. We look at Psalm 146 and, and it says God watches over the widows. God watches over them. I want to tell you, I was four years old, just barely four years old, when my daddy went home to be with the Lord. He was a medical doctor and he had eight children that remained behind with his 39 year old widow. What a tragedy, you say. Well, it was God's timing. It was God's perfect plan for Katie Edwards Payne to have eight children. Contrary to what her family thought, that she should now split the family up and go to work, she said, God makes no mistakes. She was the oldest of nine. And she looked at her brothers and sisters who sat there and said, Katie, you need to send two to my home and two over there and two over there. And we'll raise them for them and you go out and get a job. She said, no, 
No. God makes no mistakes. He knows exactly what's going on. And the God that I have trusted and the God that gave me Arthur Payne and has taken him home from me will care for me. This is a widow. The oldest was 16. The youngest was nine months old. We're all members of the body of Christ. Three are, are in the presence of the King of Kings this morning. And the rest of us are just making plans, preparations. And one day we're going to be gathered together as a family. Does God answer prayer? You bet he does. I never missed a meal. And you can look at me and you know that I'm not only married to a good cook, but uh, our, our dear mother saw to it that we had a meal. Oh, it was not always steak and potatoes. A lot of soups. A lot of good cooking. But I'm going to tell you one little thing about my dear mother. A godly mother. <clears throat> one day, there was no food. And there was no money. And so she went into the bedroom, closed the door, got down on her knees, and told the Lord about it. She didn't have to tell him. He knew. He knew. But you know, the Lord calls us and invites us to come into his presence and to make our needs and requests known unto him. And she came and said, Lord, I don't know what I'm going to feed these kids when they come home from school tonight. But I'm trusting you. And while she prayed, the mailman came. And there was a check someone she'd never met in the United States of America with enough money for her to go and buy the meal for the night. Does God answer prayer? Does God care for the widow? He has promised folks never to leave us nor forsake us. And so it is that kind of prayer and that kind of a godly mother that knelt one day in 1950 and led me to the Lord. And yet, the early church, we read, cared for its widows in Acts, in First Timothy, in James, were reminded that they cared for the widows. May I just lovingly remind our hearts this morning, we need to care for the widows. And God has blessed you as an assembly. God has blessed you as a local church. You have some fabulous leadership, and I know that each one of you, if you don't, you ought to thank God for it. Every time you open the doors here, thank God for godly leadership who care for you, both men and women. And thank God for those widows. If you read the Daily Bread this morning, you know there was a challenge there about the older women teaching the younger. And if you didn't read it, go read it. Not right now, later. But you read that Daily Bread. I love it. And it's a reminder that we need to encourage, we need to pray for one another. We need to be concerned about one another. And continue, let me say, continue to be concerned. Don't wait until trouble hits at the door. Do it beforehand. Yes, the widow had three obstacles, you'll notice, to overcome uh, in her day. For you see, women had very, very low standing before the law as women. In that day, and, and I believe it's the same today in that, that part of the world, 
In Palestinian days, women did not go to court, and she had no husband to stand in for her. She was very poor and could not afford to pay the bribe required to get the judge's attention. But she knew she needed to continue to ask. And it's amazing to me, and wonderful really, how the Lord Jesus takes that and turns it into a spiritual lesson for each one of us this morning. Here's a parable. Something went on on earth with a heavenly meaning that we need to grab onto. The Lord said to his disciples, here's a parable and I want to show you that you need to always pray and never give up. Never give up. And so, the widow was being persecuted perhaps. Why? I don't know. It doesn't say. We're not told. But I know that she pleaded with a judge for justice against her adversary. So much so, and she came to a judge who neither feared God nor cared about men. But the widow persisted in her request. Persisted in her request. Do you know what persistent prayer is? I'll tell you what persistent prayer is. I'm guilty. See, I have a loving wife. And uh, you, you know this. For I came to you in tears more than once and told you how she had lymphoma. And you know, when you make the best choice and you marry them, you hate to lose them. And I simply went to the Lord. And one morning, not too long ago, I was praying and thanking the Lord again for her. And she came in and said, Honey, I have no lumps. I have no lumps. They're gone. They're gone. God answers prayer. And I'm thankful for her. And uh, thankful that he has, he has honored that prayer. And I thank him each day and continue to pray that she'll continue to be healthy. I hope you do that, not just for your spouse and your children, but, and I know you've had some miracles here. I know you have. Let's talk to Mike sometime. Let him tell you about it. See, the Lord blesses us day in and day out, in spite of ourselves. Prayer is so important, and I tell you, it's not called repetitious prayer, but it's simply persistent prayer to the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the great physician, the one who knows our needs and yet wants us to come and uh, fellowship with Him. Paul's admonition in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 and 17 is what? Pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. Don't just go in and, and say, Lord, bless Emilio. And then next month come back and say, oh, I already prayed for Emilio. I don't need to pray for him again. No. It's constant prayer before the Savior. That's what Paul is saying. Listen, listen. Verse 6. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And then towards the end, he says, I tell you... uh, He says, will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones? Are you his chosen one this morning? Are you his chosen one? If you're a believer, you know the Lord Jesus as your Savior, I want to tell you, you're a chosen one. From before the foundation of the world, by the way. Isn't that something? Uh, That's right. Before I was born, the Lord already knew. 
Praise his name. Do you thank him every day for the salvation so full and so free that's yours to enjoy? And for the assurance, the blessed assurance, that we shall be gathered one day into his presence to be with him and like him for all eternity. God answers prayer, the Lord Jesus says. Unlike, unlike this human judge, God cares for his own. The judge said, I'm tired of her pestering me and I'm going to give her what she wants so she'll leave me alone. The Lord says, no, 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 no. I love you and I want to hear you and I want you to come and fellowship with me. Hebrews 13:5. I will never, never, never leave thee nor forsake thee. Never. You know, it's, that's as good as for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should have everlasting life. How long does that last, folks? Forever. And the Lord Jesus says, not only have I saved you, but I will never, ever leave you. Do you thank the Lord in prayer for some of those jabs you get occasionally from this sister, this brother, reminding you that, hey, you're in Christ and you need to be at the prayer meeting or you need to, you need to do this and you do that in your life? Or do you wish they'd go away? I hope you're taking time to thank the Lord for your dear family of God. Justice, justice. He says, God, will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. Quickly. In his time. His answer. That's the challenge, isn't it? His answer. (laughs) Lord, I want that red truck. And the Lord says, wait a minute. And we have to finally say, Lord, if it's your will, if it's your will, and trust him. Are we ready, really, for his answer in his time? We are, folks, his chosen ones. He wants the very best for you and me. That's the thing that I think we need to remind ourselves over and over again. He wants the very best, not just something mediocre. The very best. The very best. Because we are... Children, heirs and joint heirs with our Lord Jesus Christ of that great kingdom. And then in verse 8 he says, However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Will he find us faithful? Will he find us faithful? Will you pray for me as I pray for you that you will continue to be faithful to him and to his word? Trust in the Lord. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. With all your heart. In all your ways, in all your ways, young people, older ones as well, acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. That's the promise from God's word. How's your prayer life? How is your prayer life this morning? Well, we go on in verse 9 and it says, To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else, that's not for us here, of course, Jesus told us this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. This is Lord Jesus speaking. 
And he says, I want to tell you, those of you that have the big head, who are confident of your own righteousnesses, and, and you look down on everybody else, I want to tell you a story about a tax collector and about a Pharisee. What is man's view of God's requirements for acceptance, I ask you? Well, we see it right here in verses 10 to 13 with the Pharisee. Self-righteous, unbelieving, considered Jesus to be teaching a false gospel. He obviously was right and Jesus was wrong. His prayer time was nothing more, nothing more, nothing less than a means for bragging. See, I'm down here. My God, I'm here and I'm praying. Does everybody see me? Look at me. How good I am. Looking for public recognition with no glory to God. That's the life of the Pharisee. What about the tax collector? What about the tax collector? And before I go to the tax collector, I want to I want to ask you this morning. Is that your position today? Oh, I'm Oh, you bet I'm religious. I'm in church every Sunday. I'm there and I sing with the best of them. Oh, I got a good voice. You ought to hear me. You bet I'm there and they see me and I have my best suit or my best dress and the biggest hat and I come in. I want everybody to see me because I'm in church today. Well, what about tomorrow morning? What about Wednesday? What about Friday? Let alone Saturday. What did the tax collector have to say? Well, I think the thoughts in his heart and mind were these. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved me, not because of righteous things that I had done, but because of his mercy. Because of his mercy. Titus 3, 4 and 5. For it is by grace, you see, that I've been saved. Through faith. And this not of myself, it's a gift of God, not by works, so that I will not boast. (laughs) That's John Payne's version of Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. See, I've been saved by grace. It's God's grace. I'm here this morning only because of the grace of God. Were it not for His grace, no, His saving grace, I'd probably be down somewhere else. Certainly not here. Galatians 2.20 I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. It's all in Christ. I'm crucified with Him. And I want to live for Him. What a difference. What a difference. Where are you this morning? What is your position? Oh, we trust that you will recognize that it's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saves us. It's not by works which we do, but by His grace that we're offered eternal life through faith in Him. And that as believers in Him this morning, we stand nothing on none of of our merits, but on Him. Him alone, the crucified one. And then the Lord Jesus speaks about the faith of a child. Just a few more minutes and we'll close. You know, in verses 15 to 17, it says, people were also bringing babies to Jesus to have Him touch them. But when the disciples saw this, they rebuked them. Don't you realize who this is? This is Jesus. Don't bring your babies to him. Don't bring the little kids. You're disturbing him. 
But Jesus called the children to him and said, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. Wow. Though it was customary for people to bring their little ones to rabbis to be blessed, yet note the disciples' response. Why? Why? Rebuke them. Tell them to leave them alone. You know, in Matthew 14... They wanted to feed the crowd, and the Lord Jesus wanted that, and the disciples thought was, send them away, send them away, so we can eat in peace and quiet here. Also in Matthew 15, when it came to the Canaanite woman's daughter, they didn't want to bother him, bother him at all. No compassion whatsoever. No compassion for the needy, the lost. May I ask a question that kind of again, causes us to stop and think, how's our compassion? How's our love for the lost? When someone comes to you and, uh, and you've, you've come prepared to sit down and enjoy the hymns uh, from the hymn book and, and the message and somebody walks up to you and says to you, you know, i got some problems, some questions. Would, would, would you sit outside with me and help me? What's, what's your response? Is it, uh, could I wait later? About an hour from now? Is that what it is? Or is it, why, sure, sure. And someone came forward to you and, and said, you know, I need prayer. Do you say, well, you know, uh, prayer meeting is Wednesday. Why don't you come? We'll take care of you then. How's our compassion? How's our concern for the lost? Jesus, though many times weary, many times weary, had great compassion. Great compassion. We sing it, don't we? Jesus calls us o'er the tumult of our lives, wild, restless sea. Day by day, his sweet voice sounded, saying, Christian, follow me. Where are we? Where are we? Where's our compassion? Where's our love? Where's our concern? How's your faith? How's your love? And then, you know, he, he, he warns them about Riches, And I'm not going to dwell on this a lot because I know our time is gone. But, you know, I just want to ask the question, who is in control of your life? Who is in control? The rich young ruler came and, and he says, uh, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Verse 18. And the Lord Jesus looks at him and says, Why do you call me good? Why do you call me good? Do you ever wonder about that? You see, in that day, rabbis were called master. Only God was good. And yet, there was a question here. Did he recognize Jesus as God? Apparently not. And you know, our God knows our hearts. He knows everything from the beginning to the end. And look at his view of sin. He says in verse 20, You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Honor your father and your mother. And he says, All these I've kept since I was a boy. I've done, 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 done it all. I've done it all. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, You still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. And when he heard this, he became very sad, because he was a man of great wealth. And the Lord Jesus said, It's going to be harder, it's going to be more difficult for a rich man to enter the kingdom than for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. What an example. You know, possessing riches, let me make it very clear to you. Possessing riches does not keep us out of heaven. Did you get that? 
If you're a wealthy man or woman or family here this morning and you're believing in the Lord Jesus, it's not going to keep you from heaven. But I'll tell you something. Only those who are possessed by riches, there's a difference. Trusting them for salvation will be lost. I wonder if you're using God's riches for his glory. Is it riches or is it God? If God has blessed you, praise him, thank him for it. And could I throw one more thing in? How can I use my riches for his glory? Because he's blessed me with them. What matters most? All to Jesus I surrender. All to him I freely give. Oh, we sing it, don't we? Do we mean it? All to Jesus I surrender. All to him I freely give. And then finally, walking with Jesus. The disciples were often nearsighted. Their eyes were on the earthly, as yours and mine so often are. Quite often ready to rebuke others. How is it with you, with me today? Are we any different? How often, I wonder, do we miss the opportunities to share Christ? How's your spiritual eyesight? We're going to sing it in just a moment. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. You know, he, he alone is willing and able ready to restore us to himself. I don't know where you are this morning, but I say to you, there's a man that came to him towards the end of this chapter, and though the disciples were rebuking him and rebuking the crowd to leave him there and not let him bother the Savior, the Lord Jesus stopped them, and and he asked him in verse 40 there, Jesus stopped and ordered the man to be brought to him. He was a blind man. And when he came near, Jesus asked him, What do you want me to do for you? And that's the question that the Lord Jesus would ask you and me this morning. What do you want me to do for you? And listen to the answer. Lord, let's say it. I want to see. Lord, I want to see. Is that your desire this morning? Lord, I'm fed up with this world and with all of the material attractions. Lord, I want to see you. I want to look upon you. I want to trust you. I want eternal life. Jesus said to him, Receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. And immediately, immediately, he received his sight and followed Jesus, praising God. And when all the people saw it, they also praised God. He is willing. He's able. You see in five, chapter 5 and verse 32 of Luke, it says, The Lord Jesus speaking again. He says, I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. I've not come to call you self-righteous individuals, but those who see a need in me. Those who want to see. Those who want to trust me. Chapter 15, verse 7. I tell you that in the same way, there, uh, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. And finally, Matthew eleven twenty eight, The invitation is yours today as it was in that day. The Lord Jesus is speaking again and he says, Come unto me, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest, rest. Rest in the compassionate Savior. Where are you today? Do you sense a need? Would you like to come and know real joy and peace? 
assurance that your sins have been forgiven and been put away as far as the east is from the west. They've been put under the blood. See, Jesus died once for all. He died once for all. And he invites you today to come and trust him. And may I say, dear fellow believer, if you're not walking in fellowship with him today, the call is also for you. Come unto me. Come unto me. Maybe you've been saved for a while and you've been living as you know you shouldn't be. And the Lord says, come, come. I'll give you rest. I will forgive. I will cleanse you. I will restore you to a full, full and abundant life. Will you come today? Let's sing that, shall we? Just that one verse. It's number 491 in the Red Hymn Book if you want to look it up. Uh, oh soul, are you weary and troubled? No light. In the darkness you see this light. For a look at the Savior and life more abundant and free. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. Let's stand as we sing, shall we? While I knock the screen out. And if you'd like to come forward, you'd like to pray with me, you'd like to talk, you'd like a question answered, I'll be here, other elders will be here, friends, we're in in a friendly crowd here this morning. Don't leave without the Savior. We invite you to come and resolve your issue today at this time. Oh soul, are you weary and troubled? No light in the darkness see there's light for a look at the Savior and life more abundant and free turn your eyes upon Jesus look full in his wonderful face and the things sing that little stanza, this last part, one more time, one more time, and I ask you, dear friend of mine, come, won't you? If you sense a need, uh, you feel that you really need to resolve these matters in your life, now is the accepted time. Today is a day of salvation. Don't leave without the Savior, for He loves and longs to save you for eternity. Will you do it? As we sing. Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his Father in heaven, we thank you again for your love to us today. We thank you for your word. and We thank you, Father, for your invitation to come and trust you uh, fully to come to know you whom to know is life eternal. Father, we thank you for the many, many who are here this morning who know you as Savior and Lord of their lives. And my prayer this morning, Father, is that you'd bless them, bless them in their daily lives, in their witness for you, 
and grant that many more might come to know our Lord Jesus Christ and many, many believers will continue to be encouraged and grow more and more in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen.